15 and verse 36. Acts 15 and verse 36. In the Word of the Lord, New Testament. And the book of Acts. Some of the actions of some of the apostles. Some of the actions of some of the apostles. Or the actions of the Holy Ghost through the church. Powerful, powerful book. Thank God for it. Gives us the record of the early church. If it wasn't for the book of Acts, we would not know, thank you brother, uh, what the history of that early church was. So we are thankful today for the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is, as the title suggests, full of action and power of the Spirit of the living God. Acts 15 and verse 36, it says that some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, confirming the churches. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish and believed, but his father was a Greek. And we'll cover the whole 16th chapter. Father, we just pray right now your blessing to be upon the reading of your word. We ask God that you would inspire the preaching and also the receiving of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Last Sunday we talked about how the Judaizers were going throughout the region where Paul had gone in his first missionary journey. And they were trying to say basically that you had to add the Mosaic law. Be circumcised and then keep the law of Moses in order to be fully, genuinely saved. So what they were doing was they were adding to the new birth, okay? And saying it's not enough to be baptized in Jesus' name and to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But you need to be circumcised and you need to keep the law of Moses. And so we saw the struggle that took place over that in the book of Galatians as well. They got that all straightened out. They have a letter now. They've taken it back to the church of Antioch. Let me show you where we're looking at today. It's kind of maybe hard to see. Uh, Brother Bloss, can you bring it up on this screen as well? Bloss? See if we can get it on this screen as well right here. Uh, that's off. I don't know why that is off there. But anyway... If you can't see it here, we'll try to get this back up for you. But here's where they were located. This was the uh, headquarters of the Gentile church right here, Antioch of Syria. Okay. Now, there's another Antioch over here in Asia Minor, this Pisidian Antioch right here. But they will travel from here and they will go back on their second missionary journey. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The Scripture tells us, however, that Barnabas, they left Antioch, he and Mark, John Mark, and they went over here to his hometown, Cyprus. At this point, Barnabas is no longer going to be recorded in the book of Acts. But we know by history that when he went over to Cyprus, his hometown, he and John Mark, his nephew, that a powerful revival broke out there in Cyprus. That he had a very powerful ministry uh, that followed him there in Cyprus. 
So even though there was contention here in Antioch of Syria between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark because John Mark had forsaken them. Remember we talked about that in the first missionary journey. John Mark had literally abandoned them and went back home to Mama. And so that's what the fight is about here over in Antioch. Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Paul says, absolutely not. So there is a division. There is a separation there. There is a contention. The word the Bible says here, contention in verse 39, that means it was heated. It was a strong, strong disagreement. In fact, it was such a heavy argument, you would probably have heard them screaming at each other. That's what the word contention means. And this was going on between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. So when we look at it, you know, we think, wow, that's not a good thing that we have an apostle and we have Barnabas that went with him on the first missionary journey having such a dispute over John Mark and to the point that they separate from each other. But I think as we look at this that both of them had the right motive. I think that Barnabas had the right motive because he still saw potential in John Mark. And so he wanted to take John Mark with them back into the second missionary journey uh, because he saw that potential in John Mark. Of course, it's his nephew as well, you know. So maybe the family side sort of influenced Barnabas concerning John Mark. So I think Barnabas, <clears throat> the son of consolation, a good man, a man who was with the Apostle Paul in that first journey, as we've seen him in the book of Acts, he was in the right motive. He was doing, I think, what he thought was right. I think his motives were right. I think he did the right thing from his perspective. And I think Paul as well was right. I really do. I believe that Paul's motive was correct as well because when he had taken John Mark with them the first time, John Mark had abandoned them. And Paul doesn't want to take a chance on that happening again. Okay? So I don't think that we need to put one against another. We don't, I don't think we need to say Paul was wrong or Barnabas was wrong or either one of them, you know, was wrong. We could say both of them were right. However, later on in history, the Bible tells us in the Word of God that the Apostle Paul, John Mark developed, and the Apostle Paul in his latter years has asked John Mark to come and minister to him when he was in prison. So John Mark eventually turned out good. Amen. In fact, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. So the fact that Barnabas said, well, I'm going to still give him an opportunity. I'm going to take him under my wings. We'll go over here to Cyprus here. I'll work with him. I'll let him mature. I'll let him grow up, you know. And he did. So that in the end, even the Apostle Paul says, send for John Mark. I want to see him. And this was in his latter years. So John Mark ended up turning out pretty good. But at this point, I don't think we could say that Paul was wrong. I would rather say that both of them were right. Both of them had good motives. It caused a split and a separation between the two. But something good came out of it. And that is now you've got two missionary teams instead of one missionary team. So I think that both of them were wrong and God used a very difficult situation to bring about two missionary teams instead of one missionary team. I think as Theophilus is writing, or Luke is writing Theophilus, I should say, that he's not just trying to show Theophilus the problems that are in the church. Okay? I believe that he's actually trying to show Theophilus that the church, when it has problems, and it does, that it God can take it, if He chooses to, to work it out for the good. Amen. Say amen. amen. 
and that sometimes there are necessary separations that have to take place within the church. Sometimes it's just necessary. And I don't, you know, we don't, we believe in preaching in unity and having unity in the church and the body of Christ. But there are times in the Word of God that we have division that is necessary division. And we have separation that is necessary separation. Say amen. And in this case, the necessary separation and the necessary division calls two, two missionary teams here instead of one. So something good came out of it. So I don't think either one of them were wrong. I think both of them had good motives, okay? So at this point then, because Barnabas has taken John Mark with him, he's no longer going to be with Paul. He goes off the scene as far as the book of Acts is concerned. Goes down to Cyprus. They have a very powerful ministry. John Mark only not only writes the Gospel of Mark, but he also ends up eventually into Africa where he will be martyred for the faith. He has a powerful ministry in Africa. Now, at this point then, the Word of God is just going to stay with Paul. So Paul takes another man named Silas from Jerusalem and they're going to go back over into Cilicia, which is Tarsus. That's where Paul was from. They're going to go back over here and they're going to go back up to Galatia territory up here to Antioch. And we're going to talk about their second missionary journey. But the desire is to go back to those churches that were established in the first tour and see how they're doing. Now remember what's going on in the background is that those Judaizers are following Paul around wherever he goes. Just because there has been a decision in the 15th chapter at the church council there that the Gentiles do not have to keep the law of Moses as far as the rituals. They do have to continue to keep the moral law. But they don't have to keep the ritualistic law or be circumcised. Just because that letter and that determination was made in Acts 15 does not mean that the Pharisee believers, now remember, they're believers. The Pharisee believers walk out of that conference that day and they don't believe the decision that was made, if you can imagine that. And so from that day forward, even though there's been a letter, uh, and they took that letter back to Antioch from Jerusalem and shared it with the church, we have these Judaizers, these Pharisaical believers, they're going to follow Paul for the rest of his ministry. So Paul, when he goes back up into that Galatian territory there, he's going to have to go in there in those churches. He's going to have to tell them, here's the letter. Okay? And these Pharisee believers are fakes. They are not sent by James like they claim to, to be sent by James. They're, they are fakes and they are phony. Don't listen to them. Say amen. So this is the reason why the Apostle Paul wants to go up into Galatia to check on the churches to see how they're doing and also to tell all those churches that those people were fakes. They were not from James like they claimed. Okay, so let's go over here and look in your word, please, in Acts 15. The Bible says in verse 40, Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren into the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. Okay? So he goes from Antioch of Syria up to Cilicia, which is where he was from originally. And then the Bible says they're going up to Galatia territory. They came to Derby and Lystra, which is, let me point it out to you on the map here. Antioch, Syria, Cilicia right here. They're going to go from there to Derby and Lystra. Okay? And when they get to Lystra there, they find a disciple located there. His name is Timothy. 
Now, Timothy, remember Lystra was where the Apostle Paul was stoned to death. He was left to die under a pile of rocks and the church got around him and started praying for him. And evidently, one of those church members from that first missionary journey, one of those members of the church was Timothy. Now, we know his mother was in the church. Her name was Eunice. We know his grandmother was already in the church. Her name was, uh, what was her name? Anybody remember? Lois, thank you, Lois, thank you, right? Eunice was his mother and Lois was his grandmother and they were already in the church. And so Timothy has been influenced by his mom and his grandmother. He's in the church, but his father is not a believer. He is a Greek. And the Bible doesn't say that his father ever became a believer. So Timothy is in a very unusual situation. His mother's Jewish, his daddy's Greek. So the Jews don't accept him because he's got Greek blood in him. And the Greeks don't accept him because he's got Jewish blood in him. So he's sort of in between. He's torn in between those two cultures, all right? His mother's a Jew. His father's a Greek. His father never became a believer. But Eunice, Timothy's mother, and Lois, his grandmother, were believers. So the Bible tells us when they come to Derby and Lystra, they find this certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a what? A Jewish, and she believed, but his father was a Greek, so he was an unbeliever. So a lot of things that happen even today, you know, fathers may not be believers, but the wife may be a believer, and the children, etc. This is what you have in Timothy's background. In verse 2, the Bible tells us, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. And remember, this is the Galatian uh, churches here. It says, uh, Timothy's got a good report. Now, he was raised in the Scriptures. He was raised to know the Word of God. Even though his father was Greek, his mom, his grandmother, raised him in the Scriptures of the Lord. Raised him in the house of God, you could say, okay? Influenced him that way, but he was never circumcised in his flesh as a Jewish believer before Christ. Does that make sense? Evidently, his Greek father said no to his son being circumcised because Timothy was not circumcised even though he had a Jewish mother. Okay? Now he's become a born-again believer and the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to go with him on this missionary tour uh, on the second missionary journey, the Bible says, look at verse 3, even though he's got a good report, he's got the Scripture in his background, he's a believer, verse 3, him would Paul have to go forth with him, took and circumcised him because of the Jews. Now that almost sounds like a contradiction to everything we preached to you last week. The battle that took place over circumcision. Now Paul, the very one who was fighting the Pharisee believers over circumcision takes this young man, a Jewish Greek young man, and circumcises him in the flesh after all that warfare over circumcision last week we saw in the 15th chapter and also Galatians. That almost sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? No, it's not. It's not a contradiction. Paul is saying the reason why he's going to circumcise him is because they're fixing to go and spread the gospel to the Jews. And when the Jews find out that Timothy, being a Jew slash Greek, is not circumcised, that's going to create a problem in the Jewish mind. So he takes Timothy 
and he circumcises Timothy so he'll get that block out of the way. That mental block that the Jews would have concerning Timothy, he's going to get that out of the way and he's going to say, well, let's just circumcise him. To the Jews, Paul said, I became what? A Jew. That did he what? Might win the Jews. So he's taking Timothy here and he's making him a Jew by circumcision, not for salvation, but so that that block, that mental block for the Jews can be removed and he can be effective in ministry. So again, it's not about salvation. It's about becoming a Jew so he can be effective in preaching the gospel to the Jews. No contradiction. So on last week we saw the great struggle and the warfare that took place, but it was these Judaizers saying you have to add circumcision for salvation. And that's what Paul was refuting. But now he takes this young man, he circumcises him for the purpose of ministry. Becoming a Jew so he could be effective in preaching to the Jews. And not only that, but he's going to make Timothy his son in the ministry when he circumcises him. He becomes his son in the ministry. Now that gets pretty heavy right there, but I'm not going to really get into that this morning. But he becomes his son in the ministry when he circumcises which means Paul is marking him as a son in the ministry, as a son of the faith, okay? So those two reasons. Now, so Timothy's been circumcised. He's ready to be used for Jewish work there since uh, that block has been removed. Now look, in verse uh, 3 again, I'll read it to you. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was what? A Greek. They knew that dad was a Greek, a Gentile, and so this would be a problem for them. You know, he wouldn't be accepted by the Jews because he's got Greek blood in him. So Paul says, we'll get rid of that, that block there and I'll make you a Jew. We'll get that stumbling block out of the way so you can be effective in preaching to the Jews. That was the reason. It had nothing to do about with salvation. had nothing to do with salvation. It had to do with ministry. For the purposes of ministry. Paul is marking him in ministry. Okay, go to verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So that's that letter we're talking about. The Jews or the Gentiles don't have to keep the law of Moses. They don't have to be circumcised. Just repent and be baptized in Jesus' name and be filled with the Holy Ghost and that plunges them into the kingdom, right? Okay, so they're going around and they're sharing this with the churches in Galatia. Now remember... It's interesting to me, we talked about this in the past, the Galatians were the Gauls. They were those Celtic Gauls that originated from France. And they were a lot like Americans. They were very fickle. They were always changing all the time. You know what I'm saying? Like you'd be a hero one day with them and a zero the next day. That's just the way they were. They're like Americans, you know. You know what I'm talking about. Praise God. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a coach of some teams because one day you're the hero of, of the team, the next day they're firing you. It's all your fault, you know. Well, that's America. But see, that's the way these Gaul Celtics were, these Galatians were. They were very, very fickle and they were fond of change, said Caesar. They loved change. They always wanted, you know, change. I, well, I lost everything then. Signal went down. Let them know back there. But anyway, and not only that, but they were highly intelligent people. 
But Paul said about them, he said, you're foolish Galatians. He said, literally one translation, Philip says, you dear idiots. And another translation says, you stupid people. I'm not kidding you. Even though they were highly intelligent, they were easily swayed and very fickle and always subject to change. So whatever the newest message was in town, that's what they were going for. So when Paul comes and preaches that first missionary you know, uh, tour, he preaches the gospel and they come into the church, right, by faith and grace and they're all celebrating the fact that they've been saved by grace and they don't have to become Jews. They don't have to be circumcised in their flesh. They don't have to keep the law of Moses. They're all excited about this, you know. They've been born again. And here comes these Pharisaic believers, these Judaizers, who, who tell them you've got to add circumcision and the law to this to be genuinely saved. And they fall right into it. Because they're very fickle and they're always these, these people that change with everything that comes around them, right? So Paul is going back up there and he's dealing with these fickle, fickle people, praise God, that are like Americans. But remember, Paul said, you dear idiots, are you foolish Galatians, or you're being stupid right now? Well, they're highly intelligent. You, you remember I taught you that? They're highly intelligent, but they're being foolish at the same time. So you can have clever devils. You can have intelligent fools. Say amen. You can have intelligent, educated idiots. And we got a lot of in America, a lot of them in America. Don't look at me like that. That's just the way it is, you know. Praise the Lord. So Paul is taking that letter back into the Galatian territory. He said, don't listen to those guys. Those guys are fakes. They are phony. You don't have to add circumcision or the law to your life in order to be saved. You've been born again of the water and the Spirit. You're in the kingdom of God. Amen. And so don't let that trip you up. That's what he's doing. Okay, so let's look at it there in the verse. It says, verse 4, They went through the cities. They delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. Verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Messiah, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them now. Now watch this. Suffered them not. This is interesting. You have an apostle here on a missionary journey. He's gone to Derby and to Lystra he wants to go over to Asia. Right here. Okay, so he's up here, uh, Lystra. He wants to travel over to Asia. No doubt he wants to go to Ephesus because Ephesus is the center of Asia. You mean the seven churches of the book of Revelation? That's Asia Minor. Paul wants to travel over here to Ephesus, so he wants to go to the left hand. Right? Now, he doesn't have direction from God to go there. So what's he doing? He's doing the normal, obvious thing. And that is to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. He knows that's what he's supposed to do. Okay? So he's, alright, we need to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. So, hey, it, look, it looks good. Let's go over here in Asia, in Ephesus. Let's preach the gospel there. He's got a green light up to this point. And then all of a sudden, the red light of the Holy Ghost comes on. It says, no, I don't want you to go 
over into Asia. Ephesus, this area here. Well, then Paul says, all right, let's try to go up to Bithynia then. Maybe it's God's will for us to go up to Bithynia. Uh, which would be up in this area right here. Right on, yeah, right there. Bithynia and Pontus. You see that? Now he wants to go to the right hand. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God gives him a red light there. The Lord has already told him, do not go over to Asia in the east and do not go up here to Bithynia. Two red lights. Isn't that interesting? The Apostle Paul has got, of course, the Holy Ghost in him. He's being led by the Spirit. And he is, he's making decisions as to where to go and preach. He thinks Asia looks good. God says no. Red light. He thinks Bithynia would be good. God says no. Red light. So what I'm trying to show you is that as Paul was serving the Lord, there were times he did not know what to do. He should have went to the bookstore and, and bought a book that says, The Lord's Will for Your Life. Where they could explain to him how you could know what the will of God is for your life. He, he should have had that manual in his back pocket. But he didn't have that manual in his back pocket. You know, you hear what I'm telling you today. You can go to the bookstore and you can buy books all day long about the will of God for your life. How you can know the will of God for your life. If you're a certain kind of person, you know, if you have a certain kind of personality, this is your gift. And this is what you're supposed to do in your life. Say amen. <laughs> anyway, Paul didn't have that book. He didn't have any of those books in his back pocket. He didn't buy that book. He was doing, what I'm trying to show you this as a believer, is that you do every, what, what is the will of God for your life? What is the will of God for my life? You do what the obvious is and the normal is, and that is to spread the gospel to your neighbors and everywhere you can. And when God gets ready for you to make a change, He will intervene into your life. You hear what I'm telling you? You don't have to sit around and worry about what is the will of God for my life. Just get busy serving God. You see, that's what Paul was doing. Busy serving God, traveling back over into Galatian territory. He says, okay, Ephesus looks good to preach the gospel. God says, no. Red light. Bithynia looks good. God says, no. Red light. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. Until you get a red light, get busy for God. You don't have to wait around. See, so many people today are not serving the Lord because they're waiting around, laying around, sleeping around, sitting around, waiting for some vision to come from God to them. Some word, audible voice come to them and says, Go here. You're going to be waiting a long time. What I'm trying to tell you as a believer, if you're filled with the Spirit, you have a green light all the time. Did you hear what I say? You have a green light on the inside of you all the time to go and spread the gospel. If God wants to change what you're doing, He will divinely intervene into your life and show you the next step if what you're doing is not what He wants you to do. You don't have to worry about that because He will make sure that He will divinely intervene into your life. Let me explain this to you. It's a very rare thing. 
for anybody to have a vision from God to come to them and tell them what to do. It happens, yes, but it's rare. Okay? So if you're waiting around for a vision to come or a dream to come, and we have, all of us have the Holy Ghost here. We believe in dreams and visions and the gifts of the Spirit and all of that. But it's a very rare thing. There's only been a few times in my life when I know God gave me a vision. When I know God sent... And there's one particular time I was in a tremendous battle and God sent a couple of angels to me in a dream. And I knew it was from God. But that's a very rare thing for you to experience some vision from God to tell you what to do. It's a rare thing. Why? Because He's put a green light on the inside of you. So go out and get busy and do the normal and the obvious work of God. And if God wants you somewhere else, then He will intervene in that rare way and tell you, this is not what I want you to do. Red light. Do you see what I'm saying? That's the way the Spirit of God works. Green light all the time. And then when He gets ready to change the direction you're going, then the red light comes on. It's not red light all the time. Then He gives you a green light. It's green light all the time. Then He gives you a red light when He wants you to change. He will, he will make a direct intervention into your life. So what I tell people is, hey, Pastor, Pastor, what's the will of God for my life? Just get busy serving the Lord. In whatever capacity you can. Whatever you see the need is, alright? Whatever gifting you have, use that to serve the Lord. Use that to bless God. Use that to bless the church and win souls. We know we're supposed to do that. And keep on doing that. And that's the green light, green light, green light. If God wants to send you to China, He'll let you know. I said He'll let you know. He's not going to send a prophet to you. Say, God is telling you to go to China. He don't work that way. He'll send a prophet to you to confirm the word He gave you. He's not going to send your mail to somebody else. If He wants you to go to China, He's going to tell you to go to China and He'll send a prophet with a word of knowledge or wisdom maybe and confirm the word that's given to you, but He is not going to send a man to you or a woman to you to prophesy to you something you don't even know about yourself. God doesn't work that way. Say praise the Lord. So you see Paul and them going along here, green light, green light, green light. Well, let's go to Asia. Nope, red light. Let's go to Bithynia. Red light. That's the way God works. You understand what I'm telling you? I shared with you, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, how one woman got in one of those prayer lines that the, we Pentecostal people like to have, you know, prayer and prayer lines that we have for healing and things. And, and uh, anyway, uh, husband got in the line first and a so-called prophet said, God is calling you to China. Okay, so he, he gets out of the line. God's calling me to China. He's all excited. God's calling him to China. His wife follows, and the prophet looks at her and says, God's calling you to India. She says, you just sent my husband to China. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. It's Indochina. Yeah, right. <laughs> See, what I'm trying to tell you is, God, if you have been filled with the Spirit of the living God, God's going to tell you what He wants you to do. Okay? The green light's on. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Preach the gospel. Win the lost. Serve the Lord in whatever capacity you can. And when God gets ready to send you to China, He's not going to send somebody to tell you. He's going to tell you Himself. 
Some divine intervention is going to come there. And then a man or a woman can confirm it in your life. They'll recognize it. That's called ordination. Ordination is God pointing the finger. So you're going to feel God pointing the finger on the inside of you. You with me? And when God points the finger on the inside of you, then everybody else is going to start coming around you and they're going to start pointing the finger at you too. You see what I'm telling you? But you know first that God is pointing the finger inside of you to go on. God's telling you to go on. You feel that in your spirit, God. You feel that call, that ordination from God. And then everybody else just simply recognizes what God is doing in your life. But we live in a very confused, uh, charismatic time where people are waiting for God to give them a dream or a vision all the time or send some prophet to them, tell them where to go. No, God's going to tell you where to go. But until He does, just get busy serving God. Stop waiting around for some dream. Some vision, you know. I told a good friend of mine, uh, he wants me to go do something for him. And uh, it's a big decision for me, okay? I'm not going to get into the details, but it's a huge decision for me. It has spiritual um, implications to it. It's, it's, it's a huge decision. He wants me to do it. And I told him last night, I said, every time I talk to you on the phone, I feel green light, green light, green light. Okay? And I said, I don't, Unless God gives me the red light, if He gives me the red light, then I can't do it. But I'm going to wait for God to give me the red light. If He doesn't give me the red light, I'm going to do what you're asking me to do. Say praise the Lord. That's how you work. That's how the Spirit of God works in you. Praise the Lord. So these men are moving by the Spirit of God and they, they don't know exactly what to do. They haven't read the book. And so they're just doing the, the obvious and the normal, and that's to go and preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Amen. And so they're doing what they feel is best to do. They don't know it totally exactly at that moment if it's where God wants them. But God will intervene into your life when He gets ready to change. And He told Paul no to Asia, and He told Paul no to Bithynia. Because at this point, He wants Paul and Silas to go to Europe. And that's where you got your chance. That's where I got my chance. I don't know if you know it, but I got a little German in me. My grandmother was German and my grandfather was Czech. Czechoslovakian. Say amen. And so I don't know what all you're made up of, but I, I've got a little German in me. I got a little Czech in me. And who, who knows what else I got in me? I, don't laugh. I mean, your parents lived in the cave next to mine, you know. <laughs> so if you find out your ancestors over there in Europe, you know, they were the worst and the filthiest of all people, don't worry. Uh, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody else was living next door to them too, and probably in the church. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, is if this European move, God in control telling them, I don't want you to go to Asia right now. I don't want you to go to Bithynia right now. I want you to go to Europe. You realize that's where you came out? The revival you came out of? Most of you came out of that revival right here? If God had not stepped in and said no to Asia, you would have been, America would have been like the Orient today. You would have probably been an idol worshiper. You understand what I'm telling you? You would have probably been like China. Say Amen. But because God said no to Asia, He said yes to Europe. You are a 
most of you are a part of the revival that came out of this second missionary journey. This second missionary journey is taking you to Europe. Go west, young man. Go west. <laughs> the New York Times writer wasn't the first guy that said that. The Spirit of God told Paul, go west, young man. Go west. And as a result of that, you came out of that revival. Okay. Praise the Lord. Because a lot of you have European descent is my point. Say praise the Lord. See, God knew what He was doing. Now we live in a time where the West is taking the Gospel to the East. You have missionaries from Europe. You have missionaries from America that are going to China to preach the Gospel like Brother, Ta Brother Edmonds in Taiwan. So you've got a Western man going East. But you see at this point, they're not allowed to go the Eastern direction. They are told by the Spirit of God to go West. Thank God. I thank God that the Spirit of God told them to go west. Because that's where you and I came out. The revival came that we came out of. Praise the Lord God. Okay, let me explain to you what happened here now. Alright, so you with me so far? They've got red lights. Up to this point, they've had a green light. Red lights are coming on. And the Scripture tells us a divine intervention from God is coming so that it will change the direction. Verse 7 says, after they were come to Messiah, that's over here, I'll show it where. Maybe we can get a better map next time. But it's, it's right over here in, in this coastline area somewhere. Anyway, I can't even, I can't see that. But anyway, they came to Messiah, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not, and passing by Messiah, they came to Troas. Now Troas, right here on the coast, Right there, Troas. You see it? Troas. Troy. Troy is right real close to Troas. He's going to help me here. Praise the Lord. Is that Messiah, brother? Oh, Messiah right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Then we're moving over to Troas. See Troas? Troas is real close to Troy. Alexandria, Troy. Man, you're something else, brother. I didn't know you could do that. Okay. Praise the Lord. You see what's happening here? We're at Troas. We're right on the border. They're fixing to go over into Europe. This is Europe. They're fixing to travel right there. Okay, the Scripture tells us, the Bible says, verse 8, they passing by Messiah came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Here's that divine intervention that I'm talking about. When God gets ready to change the direction you're going, He will take the initiative to let you know. Okay? It's a very rare thing. It's not something that happens every day is what my point is. It may happen once a month. It may happen once a year. It's not going to happen every day. Okay? When you get up in the morning, God's not going to give you a vision to go to this grocery store. God, what grocery store do I go to today? I'm waiting for a vision. Just go to, go to the one that has the best food, the best deals, the best prices. You got a green light. You don't have to wait for an angel to come to get you by the hand to take you to Piggly Wiggly. You know what I'm saying to you? Just get up, do the obvious and the normal. If God wants you to go somewhere else, He'll step in. I'm just telling you, it gets a little bit silly. Okay, as a pastor, man. And I shared some things that people come to the church say, I got a word for you, pastor. You're not leading this church right. I said, you don't have a word from God for me because God don't send my mail to you. And they walk out and stomp out mad as they can be. Love you. 
Okay? So you got to be careful. Praise the Lord. Is this helping anybody? It might save you a little money. You don't have to buy so many books now. <laughs> Trying to find out what the will of God is. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, just green light, green light, go, go, go. Serve God. If He wants you to change, He'll put a red light up for you. Hallelujah. Amen. So watch this. Here we go. The Bible tells us, boy, y'all are really quiet. Y'all are a tough crowd this morning. You eat too much turkey. You're right ready to go to sleep. I know you eat so many turkey. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia. Don't know who that man is. When he gets over to Macedonia, Philippi there, there will be a woman by the name of Lydia. It could be the man that he sees in this vision is actually a woman. I know y'all don't like that theology. You don't agree with it. Fine, I didn't ask you to agree with me. I'm not asking you to believe anything I'm saying this morning. I'm just just here, listen to me. Well, maybe it was Lydia because she's the first convert of Europe. We'll get to that in just a moment. Or possibly it was Alexander the Great because they are going from, going to go from where they are here in Troas, they're going to go over into Macedonia and that was his father's name, Philip of Macedonia. Oh, he's from Macedonia. Philip of Macedonia. Alexander the Great's father. Okay? So they're fixing to go to Europe or they're fixing to go to Greece. And this man is, if you will, standing at the foot of the bed of the Apostle Paul and telling him, come over and help us in Europe. Help us in Macedonia. The Bible doesn't say who the man is. Okay? I know Lydia was the first convert. It is possible because he's moving toward Greece or Europe here in, in evangelism that Alexander the Great was standing at the foot of the Apostle Paul's bed that night, so to speak. Because Alexander the Great, his primary goal in life was to unite the East with the West. Okay? And the Apostle Paul would have known that that was Alexander's goal, was to unite the East and the West. Well, that's Alexander's goal. But God has a bigger goal, and that's to unite the East with the West spiritually. So it could have been Alexander the Great. Say amen. amen. It could have been Japheth, one of the sons of Noah. Okay? Because this territory primarily populated by his descendants. So I don't know who the man was. The Bible doesn't say if it was Japheth or Alexander the Great or if it was uh, Lydia. It says it's a man, so evidently it wasn't Lydia. But she was the first convert. But the Scripture says this vision... A man of Macedonia prayed him, verse 9, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia. Notice this right now. The word we. The Apostle Paul lived in Troas, right here. Uh, I mean, uh, Luke lived in Troas. And when Paul went down to Troas, he converted Luke. Because Luke is the writer He's writing to Theophilus, the book of Acts, and now we have we. So Luke has joined the evangelism team. So you've got Paul, Silas, Timothy, and now Luke is converted to the gospel and he's joining the evangelism team. Okay? Because we have the word we. So they are passing from, they're going from Troas, the coastal city there, 
Verse 10, And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering, say assuredly gathering, that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So now they're headed to Greece. They're headed to the West. They're headed to Europe. And they knew they were in the will of God. Because God told them no on these other places, but then He gave them a green light to go to Greece or to the West. And He showed that to them by a vision. A man telling them, pray and they'll come over and, and help us in Macedonia. Isn't that awesome? So you don't have to worry about it. When God gets ready to send you somewhere, He will make sure you know about it. Say Amen. amen. But the red light was, no, don't go here. The red light was, no, don't go to Asia. Red light, don't go to Bithynia. And then they have this vision here, God intervening, showing them, this is the direction I want you to go. Do you see that? Amen. Say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now I'm, I'm focusing in on this because I'm trying to help you and it's going to help me as a pastor. I'm going to save you some money from having to buy so many books and, and, and thinking that somebody's got to come always give you a prophetic word, you know, and, and just go, 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 get busy for the Lord. And he will, if he wants you somewhere, I assure you, he will tell you where he wants you. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I remember when I was pastoring in Crane, Texas. My wife and I, it was late at night, supposed to go to sleep. And, um, Actually, I did go to sleep, excuse me. <laughs> and I had a dream. God showed me that I was not going to be a pastor in that church. And He showed me my next step where I was going to go. And I was going to go be a youth leader from that church at another church. He showed me that in the dream. When I Okay, so I made the steps because I knew it was God. And when I went to that church that I was supposed to be the youth leader at, I did not walk up to the pastor and say to him, I'm your next youth leader. I put it on the shelf. Okay? Never said one word. Didn't say anything to the youth, uh, to the pastor. Didn't say anything to the people in the church that I had this dream that I was supposed to not pastor that church and go over here and be your youth leader. I put it on the shelf because I knew if it was God, it would come to pass. And with time, God moved the youth leader that was there at the time, had been there for a long time. He took him out. I never said a word. God removed him and put him in a different work. And I was just waiting for God to work all the details out. Say amen. amen. He took, I saw that youth leader go into another work. So I said, okay, God, something's going on here. And I waited and I waited. And the door opened for me to be the next youth leader. And that was a large church to be the next youth leader in that church without saying one word. But see, what I'm trying to show you is that when I was pastoring, Okay, I was serving God. I was preaching just like I am right here. When God got ready to intervene or to change the direction I was at, He gave me a dream and I went with that dream and I went to that church telling nobody about it, put it on the shelf, and I saw the invisible hand of God fulfill what He called me to do without manipulating, without trying to force my way into positions. If it's God, you don't have to do that kind of stuff. Give the Lord praise in the house. Say amen. amen. And then guess what? A little time went, went by and I was youth leader over there and the Lord sent me back to that church in Crane that I said I'd never go back to ever as my first church. Man, I had some scars. I still got scars. Hallelujah. Not, not their fault, my fault. You know, it's my fault. But I went back to Crane for a little time to help them get back on their feet, you know. 
And then the Lord said, at that point, He said, I want you to start a church in Odessa, Texas. We've been here 17 years. Going on 17 years. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But at that time, God didn't give me a dream about Odessa, Texas starting a church. He just spoke from within to me. Gave me such a strong desire to start a church here in Odessa, Texas. We started in our house with two people. And it's grown to this right now. So we give the Lord praise for it. You understand what I'm telling you? So, I'm trying to help all of you today. Because you, you're waiting for dreams and visions and prophets to come to you and, and you're waiting, you know, and then when you think you're supposed to do something, then you start manipulating and controlling and, and you know, causing problems in the church to get that one out of the church so you can take their position. Causing problems in the choir so you can be the next choir, you know, singer or choir leader. That's not the way you do it. If it's God, put it on the shelf. He'll work it out for you. Give the Lord praise in the house. Does that help anybody here today? If it does, say praise the Lord. Good. Hallelujah. You believe what I'm saying? Okay. It's real. All right. Let's go on down then. So we have the vision here. Appeared to Paul in the night. Verse 9. There stood a man of Macedonia. Prayed him saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia and surely, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. What is the gospel? 1 Corinthians 15.1 It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then applying that to your life. Repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Applying that to your life. That is the gospel. So we know what they're going to be preaching. They're going to be preaching the gospel in verse 11. Therefore, loosing from Troas, that's close to Troy, we came with a straight course to Samothracia. And this is in Thrace. This is an island. So I can find that for you. I need my glasses. I should have brought my glasses. Anyway, right there. Right there. You see it? Samothracia? Right there. So they're heading over here to Europe now. You got it? Okay, and then the Bible says the next day to Neapolis, and that's on the coast of Greece or Europe. And verse 12, and from thence to where? Philippi. Philippi became one of the greatest churches the Apostle Paul ever founded. It was one of the most faithful churches. It was one of, if you could, you could put it like this, it was a trophy for the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of trouble with a lot of the other churches. He had trouble with Galatians. He had trouble with Corinthians. But Philippi, the church in Philippi, was a very, very special church that was founded by the Apostle Paul. So we have Paul, Luke, Timothy, and Silas going over here to Philippi. Philippi is a little Rome. So if you were to go over to Philippi, in that day, let's see if I can find it for you on the map here. Anybody having glasses I can use? Right there, Philippi. See that? Okay, they made it into Europe. When they walked there, Philippi was a very wealthy little colony. It was a Roman colony. So they were trying to duplicate Rome in Philippi. Okay? Amen. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. They're not in Rome, but the Romans are taking Rome to Philippi. Okay, so now what you have there in Philippi is a little Roman colony and everybody's trying to be like the Romans. Everybody dresses like the Romans. They're in togas. Seriously. The buildings look just like the buildings in Rome. 
They speak the language of the Romans here, all right? So they want to be just like the Romans because this is a very highly civilized culture and it's very wealthy. It's a little Rome, if you will. And this is what the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Luke and, and Silas are walking into. Very few Jews are in Philippi, okay? That's the background of Philippi. Now the Bible tells us when they get over there, let's read on down some here. Verse 12, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. Say a colony. So it's a Roman colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. Now normally, Paul would go into the Jewish synagogue and preach the gospel to the Jews first. But there's not enough Jewish men there, small Jewish colony, for them to have a synagogue. You have to have ten men to have a Jewish synagogue. Because there's no Jewish synagogue in Philippi, small Jewish population there, not even ten believers there, Jewish believers according to the Mosaic law are there. So what Paul does, he and his company, they go down to water. Because that's where you would find a Jew or a God-fearer, a Gentile who is observing Jewish rites. You would find them at water because of ritual ceremonies. So the Apostle Paul knew that. So he and his company make their way to a river there. And the Bible says they find located there at that river a man, a woman by the name of Lydia. So verse 13. And on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So now on the Sabbath, remember he's going to the Jews first and then to the Greeks. So because there's no synagogue there, now he's going, he's going to, he sits by the river and he sees these women that are there. Doesn't mean there were no men there. But he sees, the Bible says, the women there and they are praying. The Bible says where prayer was what? Want to be made. Prayers are not prayed. Prayers are made. Did you know that? Prayers are made. You take a little bit, you take the ingredients of the Old Testament, uh, uh, the incense, the ingredients that went into that incense, and every piece, every part of the uh, ingredients that went into that incense, which made up prayer, is a type of what is in your life. You take a little bit of pain, you take a little bit of suffering, you take a little bit of joy, etc., etc., and I don't have time to get into all that. And with your pain, your suffering, your joy, all these things and circumstances that have happened in your life, when you begin to uh, pray, you are making prayer by your life. That's why it doesn't say they were praying prayer. It says there was... Prayer was want to be what? Made. They're putting a little, bit, a little bit of their sorrow into this prayer. They're putting a little bit of their pain. They're putting a little bit of joy. Circumstances of their life. It's making up every time you pray. Your whole life is making that prayer. Say praise the Lord. And so that's what they're doing here. Now, the Bible tells us as they are uh, where prayer was want to be what? Made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Luke focuses upon women's function in that early church in the book of Acts because they had major, major influence in the early church just as they do today. The Bible tells us, sit down there, and there are women which uh, resorted thither, and a certain woman named Lydia. That is not her name. That's not her real name. Lydia is... Where she's from, Thyatira is where she's from, and Thyatira is a part of Lydian, the Lydian province. Okay, so 
She's from Lydia. I don't know what her name was. She is from Lydia, or the Lydian province. Thyatira is a city in Lydia. Okay? Yeah, but it's sort of like, you know, somebody gives you a, an alias. Okay? You're a Texan, so we just call you Tex. That's not your name, but we just call you Tex. Hey, Tex. How you doing, Tex? You say, how you doing? Hello, California. You know what I'm saying? And that's what happened with this woman. She's from Lydia. She's from Thyatira. But, you know, because she's from Lydia, they just got to a point where, hey, hey, there's Lydia. You know, that's not a real name. But just call her Tex. I'm really trying today. Y'all are really hard to preach to this morning. But anyway, so you understand what I'm telling you. This Bible, a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple of the city of Thyatira. This woman was very, very wealthy. She was a tremendous businesswoman. She was a seller of purple from Thyatira. The purple dye came from the shellfish, the throat of a shellfish. One little bitty eyedropper worth of dye, one drop from an eyedropper worth of dye would have cost you a month's wages. And she was a seller of this purple. It was very hard to get this purple dye out of the throat of the shellfish. And she was a seller of this dye. If it didn't come from the shellfish, it came from a plant in Thyatira that produced what was called red Thyatira dye. But it was very, very, very expensive. How many of y'all know perfume today is pretty expensive, some of it? A little bitty old, you know, bottle about that tall. It costs you a lot of anyway. Some of it. And so she was a seller of this very, very expensive dye, which was for royalty. Royalty wore the garments that were dyed in purple. Very expensive. So this woman was a very wealthy woman. I know that because she had a huge house in Philippi. She invited the Apostle Paul and his group to stay with her after she's converted. So she is a tremendous woman of great influence. And there are women in the church even today, to this very day, that are great influence. I'm going to just tell you this. If it wasn't for women, there would not be a Pentecostal church. In fact, I will tell you, if there, was, if there were not the women in this church, there would not be a church here in Odessa, Texas. Say praise the Lord. Women have great influence on the kingdom of God. Say hallelujah. That's just the fact. This is the way it is, alright? And if there wasn't a Lydia in Philippi, the church wouldn't have started. You with me? She is the first convert. Doesn't say she's Jewish. She's from Thyatira. She could have been Jewish, but she was probably just a God-fearer. A Gentile who was trying to worship the one true God, and she knew the Jews knew the one true God of the Bible, and so she's going to worship the one true God of the Bible the Jewish way, and so she becomes a God-fearer, not a proselyte. A proselyte means you become Jewish. Okay, so anyway, this woman is there by this water. They're praying, okay, worshiping God. The Bible says, they hear the Apostle Paul, the women. Now I know, according to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1, there was a, another woman there named Eudeus and another woman there named Sintike, and they were both there as well. They were part of this church. But these women are there. And as they begin to worship God, the Apostle Paul and the others begin to preach the Word of the Lord, the Gospel. And the Bible says 
that they heard them whose heart the Lord opened. Now remember, they're worshiping God and they are praying, but they don't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't know about His death, burial, and resurrection. They don't know about repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. They're just worshiping God the way they know to worship God at that point. Okay? And now the Apostle Paul, who is a Jewish man, is going to preach to them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says as they begin to preach the Scripture, the Lord opened her heart. Whose heart the Lord opened. I could get up here. What I'm trying to tell you is this. The Apostle Paul, as he began to preach, it wasn't his eloquence. He was an extremely Wonderful man of God. He was very knowledgeable. But his preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and the Holy Ghost. And when he began to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ to these women there, his eloquence did not do the job. God opened her heart. God did something in her heart as they were preaching the word of the Lord. Same thing happened to you. There was no eloquent preacher that brought you into the truth. You hear what I'm telling you? It wasn't their ability or their knowledge that brought you into truth. It was when the Word of God was being preached to you, God was doing something in your heart. As the Apostle Paul was preaching there to that riverside to these women, God opened the heart of Lydia. It was God doing the work, not the eloquence of the preacher. Say praise the Lord God. Let me just be honest with you. I've stood up here at times and I've been anointed and I've preached and I thought, man, that was really a powerful message and nobody got hardly anything out of it. And there's, there's times I stand up here and I feel like a total flop. I feel like going in my office and closing the door and bowing my head and cry. And people walk up and say, that's the most awesome message I've ever heard you preach. I'm going, what? You know why that is? Because it's not the eloquence of the preacher. It's God taking the word of that man and doing something with that word in the heart of a person so that the Apostle Paul, as he began to preach the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Lord opened the heart of Lydia so that she would hear what was being preached. Hallelujah. When God does that, there's not a distraction in the person. They're not looking around waiting for something to happen because God is doing something in that heart and they know God's talking to me right now. I know God is God is giving me an answer right now. The good news is coming to me right now. It's going to set me free. And so the Lord was doing the work in this woman's life. And I, you know, the Apostle Paul is just doing what he's supposed to do and that's preach the gospel. Say amen. amen. Just say, well, I don't have results. Just get out there and share the word of the Lord and trust God to open the heart of the person. If that person doesn't open their heart, just go to somebody else. And keep witnessing and keep teaching those Bible studies because you're going to find somebody that you're going to sit down with and you're going to teach that Bible study and you're going to see a difference in their heart because God is opening their heart. And until you find that person, just keep going, keep going. Green light, green light, green light. Don't get discouraged by the fact that people are not receiving it. Just keep preaching it. And there's going to be a Lydia somewhere, sitting by the water somewhere, that worships God the best way she knows. 
She's, she only knows God to a point. She's worshiping God with all her heart. She loves God with all her heart. But she's worshiping God only to the point that she knows until this man comes in her life and it shows her the gospel, the way of God more perfectly. Are y'all hearing me right now? So thank God for where they were. Thank God for where she was. Thank God for where a lot of the people in the denominational systems are. Many of them are sincere. But they just need you to go and spread the gospel to them and to bring them to a higher level of understanding of the Word of God. And when they hear, you're going to say, yeah, I've been worshiping God, but only at the level that I know. And you're showing me more than I ever knew before. And God is doing a work in them. Are y'all getting the message this morning? Say, praise the Lord. Say, I can get up here and I can do cartwheels and I can, you know... Do my best to entertain you and I throw peanuts to you and get the monkeys out. We can have all these things going on. Are you with me right now? That's not going to accomplish anything. Uh, you understand? I can preach, but if God, if you don't let God open your heart, you're not going to hear anything I'm saying anyway. But if you'll let God open your heart, hallelujah! And Paul wasn't worried about it. You know, he, he wasn't worried about the crowd that day. He wasn't worried about how big the church was. He, he didn't, you know, have a big healing campaign, put his name up on the, the, the marquee of Philippi and say, come uh, and hear this service because we're going to have a healing service and a healing campaign. And I'm the Apostle Paul and I'm coming from Antioch of Syria. And you want to hear me preach and you want to watch God work miracles? There was no signs. There was no marquees. He wasn't looking for a crowd. He went and found a few little women by uh, the side of a river and preached the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he did, God opened her heart and said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. She said, I want to be baptized. Amen. Pastor, how do you know? She said, I want to be baptized in Jesus' name. Because it doesn't say she's baptized in Jesus' name. I know it because that's the way they always baptize. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So as she heard Paul preach the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and heard him preach what it takes to be in that kingdom. She said, I want to be baptized because God opened her heart that day. Give the Lord praise in this house. You just never know. You never know who's going to be sent in the church when you preach when, and God is going to open their hearts. Wow. God is an amazing God. You might have a future missionary come and sit in your church right here and hear the Word of God preach and get baptized in Jesus' name and get filled with the Holy Ghost and they love God with all their heart up to that point. They didn't know about this. But then they come in the full knowledge of the truth. They might end up in the mission field. That's why you got to stay faithful. You can't go with the crowds. You can't be worried about how many people's there. Just give one, give us one person that wants to hear the word of God. One person that God can open their heart to. Just one person. As a pastor, I'll preach to one person. One person. When we started the church over there on, uh, we started in our house, two people. I stood up in my home and preached to two people. We started, we took the church over to Brazos and there was two people sitting on the, on the pews there. And you know what? We had a move of God. Cause I wasn't preaching for crowds. I wasn't preaching because we had a big number. I feel like I was probably more anointed preaching to those two people than I've been preaching to all you. I mean, I'm honest with you. God moved in those meetings. We had people walking off the street, coming through the front door, sat down in those churches. And they, we're talking about a location that nobody could find. 
out there in the boondocks. You had to be led by God to even find the crazy place. And we had visitors showing up, you know, walking through the front door. Hallelujah. I remember when Sister Celia's gone on to be with the Lord now. First time I ever saw her. She walked through the front door of that church on Brazos. You know where she was headed before she came to church that day? She was headed to her Baptist church in Midland. And we just happened to have a radio broadcast on at that time. And she heard some preacher preaching. And the Holy, the Spirit of the Lord opened her heart when she heard that word preached through that radio. She turned her car around that morning and headed over here to that little church on Brazos. She walked through the front door. She said it was so alive. And it, you know, she said it was going on. It was so alive. She said, I thought I was going to a black preacher's church. She said, the way you preach, you said, you, you preach it like a black preacher preaches, you know. She said, I thought I was going to a black preacher. So she said, I don't care. I'm hungry for God. She walked through that. I'll never forget it. I was standing in the back. She walked through that front door, walked in, just looked at me, hallelujah. And it, you know, the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story, like Paul Harvey said. She ended up getting baptized and just ain't filled with the Holy Ghost. On fire for God, one of the best saints that I ever had in my church to pastor. Give the Lord praise in the house. And that was because she heard a radio broadcast. God opened her heart and she made her way to that little church on Brazos. Give the Lord praise in the house. She wasn't coming because the building was pretty. She wasn't coming because she knew me or anybody there. Hallelujah. She coming because God touched her heart. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many God did that for you? You know what I'm talking about. There was a time in your life where you worshiped God the best you knew how. You loved God, you went to church, you read the Bible, you brought your tithes and offerings, but you had never been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You had never been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And, and, but you did what you knew to do until somebody came in your life to show you the gospel. And then your heart was opened up by who? By God. Not the eloquence of the preacher. And guess where you are today? Guess where you are today? In the church of the living God. It sure wasn't because I can preach. I can't preach. I've told you that. I've told you that a hundred times. I've told you that a thousand times. I don't know how to preach. If anything happens here, it's because God takes this man and just... Hallelujah. You know what I'm telling you? I don't know what I'm... I don't... You know what you're doing, Pastor? No, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I'm called to preach. I'm going to beat my brains out and hope, pray to God the Holy Ghost takes over and touches your heart. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So she heard God opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. That she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, her household. And who? Her household. Well, I, I don't know. Maybe Mr. Lydia got baptized that day. I don't know where Mr. Lydia was. I know Miss Lydia said, I want to be baptized. And, uh, you know, Udius and, and, and Sintika, I think is how you say her name, Philippians uh, 4.1, that they were baptized that day. Her household was, so Mr. Lydia may have been baptized that day, praise the Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah to the Lamb. So the Bible tells her household. And she constrained us. She said, 
when she was baptized, she besought us, saying, If we have judged me, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. I don't know if she's married or not, but I do know that God used this woman that day to bring revival to Europe. He opened the heart of this woman in Europe and she became the first convert in Greece that day. And because of our heart being open to the gospel, a revival hit Europe. And you are the fruits of that revival. You talk about a powerful influence. A woman being used by God. The influence of a woman. The Luke is writing about this influence of this woman. The first convert in Europe sent a revival throughout Europe. That one woman. Give God praise. One. They, she opens up her house and they go in. They stay with her. She constrained them to stay with her there. In verse 16, it came to pass as we went to prayer. They go back. They're going to be involved in prayer again. And then he says, as they're, and remember this is in Philippi. As we went to pray, a certain damsel possessed with the Spirit. Now we have another woman. Another woman with a different kind of influence. Lydia is filled with the Spirit of the living God. Lydia is baptized in Jesus' name. Lydia is in the church of the living God. She has an influence now for the revival. Now we've got another woman that's filled with a different kind of spirit. And she has tremendous influence in that area. The Bible tells us as the Apostle Paul making their way to prayer, this certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination or the spirit of a python. That's the Greek, the python spirit. She's possessed with the spirit of divination or a python spirit. In the southern mountains of Macedonia, there was a temple to Apollo and there was a snake that guarded or supposedly guarded Apollo. It's Macedonian, Macedonian legend that this snake, this python, guarded or protected Apollo, a false god. Amen? In this temple. And Macedonian legend says that Apollo got that snake and killed that snake, that python. And after he did that, this python entered into people. And they said anybody that was demonized, we say in this culture, demon-possessed, in that culture they said that person has the spirit of that snake that guarded Apollo in the temple in the southern mountains of Macedonia. That person has the python spirit. She's got the snake on the inside of her. Because that snake comes from the oracle of Apollo where you could get direction for your life from Apollo and that snake was supposed to be connected to that oracle of Apollo, that temple. And so now when they saw this young woman, she is really, genuinely, truly demonized. She's full of a demon. She's not a fake. She's not a phony. She is a true demonized person. She's got the snake in her. She's got the demon in her that they call Python. And so the Bible says, as Paul and, and those believers are making their way to prayer, this damsel that's filled with the snake, the Python spirit, demon, the Bible says she begins to follow after Paul and she begins to scream out to them and cry out to them. And she says, these are the servants of the Most High God and they do show to us the way of salvation. 
This was coming out of a demon-possessed girl. A fortune teller. A, a, a person that could do divination, could, could reveal the secrets that were in your life. The Bible forbids that. Divination is forbidden in the Scripture. But this woman possessed by that spirit would reveal secrets in the lives of people by that python spirit. And so now this woman is for this spirit. Uh, the scripture tells us she's chasing or following Paul. Verse 17. The same follow Paul and us. There's Luke is with him and cried saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation. What this demon-possessed woman was saying was the truth. They were the servants of the Most High God and they were showing them the way to salvation. Let me tell you something. The devil knew who Jesus was when men didn't know who He was. In fact, when Jesus walked the earth, demons would cry out. They knew He was the Son of the Most High God. When even people didn't know who He was, the devil knew who He was. And this young maiden full of this demon spirit, this snake spirit, the devil knows who those men are. Even when other people don't know who they are. Are y'all here with me? These are the servants of the Most High God and they're showing to us the way of salvation. That's the truth. The devil was speaking through her the truth. Do you know that the devil knows more true doctrine than most people do? The devil has more accuracy in doctrine than most preachers do. Say amen. And so this devil crying out. Now notice, I want you to catch this. As this young maiden, full of this python snake spirit, cries out this truth, these are the servants of the Most High God, and show us the way of salvation. She kept doing this day by day. Wonder why Paul did not walk up to her and cast that spirit out of her the first day he saw her. Why not? He had the power to do it, didn't he? Why didn't he do it the first day? Because the gospel and the preaching of the gospel, the primary focus of that message is not deliverance. It's The primary focus of the preacher and the primary focus of the church is not to go around to everybody on the street and cast devils out of them. The primary focus of the gospel is to bring people into the kingdom of God and to bring them into salvation. A salvation experience. And when you do that, don't worry about the devil that's in them. Because once you bring them into the kingdom and they get filled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ what's going to happen is that devil is going to be dealt with. I want to tell you something. It's a dangerous thing. It would have been a dangerous thing for this young damsel here who was possessed with this spirit of divination to, for Paul to cast that spirit out the first day he saw her. You know why? Because she would have become seven times worse. Unless the Spirit of Jesus... The Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Bible says, the Spirit of Jesus, the one that was putting on the red lights there, the Bible says, not just the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Jesus. In case you don't know it, the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of Jesus. In case you don't know it, the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus. 
In this chapter, it's called the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Ghost. And if the Spirit of Jesus is not infilling and indwelling that person's vessel, if you cast that Spirit out, they become an empty vessel. And that Spirit that went out goes into dry places. And it gets seven other spirits worse than itself and brings those seven other spirits with it and they enter into that person so that the latter end is worse than the beginning. So it's dangerous to just go cast a spirit out of somebody if they don't get filled with the Spirit of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. If they just become empty. Now you remember last, last Sunday night I told you about that man that was uh, possessed with a legion. And the Bible says Jesus cast all those spirits out and they went into 2,000 hogs and the hogs went running down and killed themselves. Say praise the Lord. And I told you at that time that Jesus will gradually remove the enemy out of the life of a person gradually, not all at once. I said the reason why he does that is because you cannot be an empty vessel. If you are an empty vessel, you are a dangerous person. That means there's more spirits going to come to you. If I cast that one out, he's going to bring seven more winning. If you don't get filled with the Spirit of Jesus, He's going to bring seven more with Him and you'll be worse off than you were before. So it's not your job to go cast out every devil you come in contact with unless they are willing to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus. And we have no record of this young woman, even though this Spirit will be eventually cast out by Paul after many days because she is a hindrance to the Gospel. We do not have a record of this woman ever becoming a believer. So y'all with me right now? So Paul did not cast that spirit out the first day because he knew unless there's something that will replace that in her life she will become seven times worse. It's more dangerous for her to be delivered of that one if Jesus doesn't fill her life. Give the Lord praise in the house. And so unlike many of us who want to go and lay hands on everybody we come in contact with and cast this devil out of them and, and do this kind of ministry, uh, unlike us, the Apostle Paul let this woman many days continue, this woman possessed of this demon, continually crying out this word, it was truth. And so now what happens, the Bible says, verse 18, Paul is grieved in his spirit. Why would Paul be grieved in his spirit if you've got a woman that has the devil but the woman's telling the truth about you? Why would that grieve you? Go ahead and let the woman declare that you're a man of God. Go ahead and let the woman declare that you're preaching the way of salvation, right? No, because God doesn't need the devil to help him preach. <clears throat> Give the Lord praise in the house. God doesn't need the devil to help him preach. Let me tell you what the danger is. It's not when a preacher dresses up like a devil. There are preachers who have dressed up like a devil. That's not dangerous. If I, as a preacher, dress like a devil, dress up like a devil, or put a devil suit on, I'm not dangerous to you. Why are y'all looking at me like that? I'm not saying I'm going to. 
I'm having a hard time eating devil food chicken that she gave me the other day, sister. Hallelujah. 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 Praise the Lord. So anyway, I'm not saying I'm going to dress up like a devil, but it's more dangerous to you if the devil dresses up like a preacher. Give the Lord praise in the house. And I will tell you today why you don't have more of this kind of manifestation by demon-possessed people uh, that you see here in this woman of divination. Because now the devil has found different ways to be more effective. What the devil does now is uh, he, the devil, comes and disguises himself as a preacher. He comes to you educated. He comes to you eloquent. He comes to you impressive but he's speaking through that educated he's speaking through that impressive person he's speaking through that eloquent person oh it's a different approach now today it's a more sophisticated approach but those educated eloquent impressive men have a demon behind them leading people astray from the word of God putting perversity and false doctrine into them are y'all with me right now Today, the devil dresses up like a preacher. Say amen. Instead of a preacher dressed up like a devil, you got the devil dressing up like a preacher. That's dangerous. When you got a preacher preaching to you and he's the devil, the devil's speaking through him, you better get away from him because your soul is in danger. And so the apostle Paul, this devil speaking through her preaching to the people. These are the servants of the Most High God and they're showing us the way of truth. The Bible says this grieved the Apostle Paul because God, Jesus, will not allow the devil to help him spread the gospel. He doesn't need the devil's help. It's a dangerous thing. Why is that? Because if Paul says, okay, she's all right then that whole culture will think that what Paul and what Luke and what Timothy and what Silas are doing are connected to her. And they are connected to the same spirit. And so Paul says, no, I can't have that. I cannot appear like we are connected to you. We cannot let this appear that you are connected to us. That the supernatural that works in us is the same thing that's in you. So they cast that spirit out in the name of Jesus so they would not appear to be connected to her in any way, even though what they were doing was supernatural. Do you understand what I'm telling you right now? And it took a lot of discernment from the Apostle Paul to know that woman had a spirit of divination because what she was saying was the truth. But he discerned that she was demonized, demon-possessed, that a spirit had entered into her body and this spirit was speaking through her. He discerned that. And so the Bible says he's grieved after many days of this going on. And the Scripture tells us what happens. In verse 18, and this did the, did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, Say with me, the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command thee to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. That spirit knew he had no authority or power once the name of Jesus was spoken over her and Paul commanded that demon, that snake to come out of her. He knew he had to go because he no longer had jurisdiction. He no longer had authority. Praise the Lord God.
And so it was showing that the supernatural that Paul and Luke and Timothy and Silas were walking in was the Spirit of God and not the Spirit of a devil. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. And that the Spirit of Jesus that was in them and the name of Jesus that was in them was more powerful than any demon that was in that young girl. Oh, give the Lord praise in this house. And the reason why he did that then was to show he's not connected to her in any way. To also, he got tired of her getting in the way. Oh, Jesus, help me today. Getting in the way. I don't want to hear you. Uh, you know, that kind of deal. And so the devil, the demon is cast out of her. But it does not say she ever became a believer. You see what I'm telling you? That is interesting to me. That the devil can be cast out of somebody and they never get filled with the Spirit of Jesus. They never get born again. And that's what happened to this young woman here. Amen. Give the Lord some praise in the house. So now we have the supernatural power of the living Lord Jesus Christ in and through His apostles working through them using the name to defeat the spirit called Python connected to Apollo in Europe. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb. We're, are y'all with me right now? Oh, yes, I feel it now. Praise the Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, for your spirit. And so the spirit came out the same hour. I am telling you again, so you will be reminded of this, that today the way the devil works, primarily, and he's more effective, is by getting into men and women who dress really sharp, who are highly educated and highly eloquent. And they might even be sitting beside you in church this morning. People who have yielded their lives, yielded their hearts to spirits, demonic powers. And, and you know, oh yeah, I know I speak for God, they would say. I'm speaking the truth, they would say. Yeah, but you got a demon in you. Give God praise in this house. The professors of colleges and preachers behind pulpits today. The anointing that is upon them is not the anointing of Jesus. It's not the spirit of Jesus. It is the spirit of demonic power. And you have to be very, very discerning to know the difference. You've got a man that's anointed by the spirit of God. Or you've got a man, uh, are you with me right now? A devil that's dressed up like a preacher. Oh, Jesus. You don't want a devil that's dressed up like a preacher. But it takes a lot of discernment to know that. And it takes a lot of discernment from the preacher to know when he's got a person in the church that claims to know God and is talking about God and for God. It takes a lot of discernment in that preacher to know that person's got a demon. And they're sent there and they'll talk about God and they'll talk about the truth, but they are sent there by the devil to disrupt what God is doing. And it takes the discernment of a man of God to know that in the name of Jesus. And that man of God is not just going to go lay hands on them as soon as they walk through the door and cast the devil out because that man of God knows if the Spirit of Jesus doesn't come inside of them, they will be worse off than they were before. Give the Lord praise in the house. Jesus. 
Hallelujah to the Lamb. Oh, the Holy Ghost is in this church right now. And anything that's tried to hinder the preaching of the Word of God this morning has been defeated by the name of Jesus. Oh, I love him right now. Give him praise. Let me tell you, if you came in here and you walked in here with a spirit, that spirit might have been proclaiming truth and might have said that's a man of God. But I'm telling you today, we don't need the devil to help us preach. We need the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Oh, give the Lord praise in the house. The Spirit of Jesus will cast that devil out. But it's more important for you to be filled with the Spirit of Jesus than it is for you to get the devil cast out of you. I can cast the devil out of you, but you, if, you don't, if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues, you'll be a worse devil than you were before I cast him out. Say praise the Lord, church. Give the Lord praise in the house. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in power. And I want you to know there was no show. The only show being put on was by this woman, possessed by the devil. You know, the Apostle Paul, he don't get water and sprinkle on her. He don't throw oil on her. He just says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. He didn't get the Bible. Come here, Brother Timothy. He didn't get up here, Brother Reese, please. He didn't get the Bible. Put the Bible on her chest. He didn't do that. He didn't throw water on her. Hallelujah. He didn't get the oil and pour it on top of her. Yeah, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He just said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, come out of her. Thanks, brother. And that same hour, that spirit came out of her. That same hour. It wasn't about putting on a show. Give the Lord some praise in the house, man. I've been in services where uh, there's one, one precious woman. She come to church, and I'm telling you, church, every time she come to church, she go to the altars, and she'd start having this gag reflux, and and everybody gathered around her and tries to cast the devil out of her. I'm telling you, this went on for months and months and months, you know. And she'd be up there gagging and, you know, anyway, excuse me. And the church people, you know, and even the preachers were getting sucked into it. Go and get the wastebaskets. She's fixing to throw up. The devil's fixing to be thrown up out of her. And so they go get the wastebaskets. And, and they're and she's always spitting up in the basket. This went on and on and on and on. I'll tell you what it was. I do not believe to this day she had a demon. I believe she was putting on a show. She was used by the devil to distract the church and the ministry but I do not believe she had a devil because if she had a devil the first time somebody said in the name of Jesus come out of her that spirit had to go she was nothing more than a distraction if that happens you can't, if they claim to have a spirit you, know, you discern they got a spirit throw it out cast it out in the name of Jesus go on go on and preach the gospel go on and preach the gospel if they come to your church and every time they come they want to throw up in a basket, I tell you what you do with them. You don't let them disrupt the church service. You take them to your office and you work with them there. Give the Lord some praise in the house. 
There, were, there wasn't any show here. He just cast the Spirit out, and this woman is delivered. She's free from the Spirit, but she's not saying, well, I closed my Bible. I, gotta, I closed my Bible because I put the Bible on you and cast that out. I love you. Alright, so we're done with that, right? And the Bible says, and when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul. See, this woman was bringing money to them when she was predicting the future, I say predicting the future, revealing secrets uh, that were not known in people's lives. Divination, spirit of divination. This was a real divination spirit. This was a real soothsaying situation. It wasn't a phony or a fake. We've seen that before. Say amen. She was really demonized. Amen. Hallelujah to the Lamb. But uh, this woman was being prostituted uh, or being used uh, for her money. The men of that area used her to bring money to them to put money in their pockets. And when that spirit is cast out of her, the money dries up. You touch the man's money, you got his attention. So they touch these men's money and now the attention is there upon uh, the situation, right? Say praise the Lord. Amen. It's sort of like when Jesus cast those spirits out of legion. They went into the hogs and the people of that city said, we want you to leave, Jesus, because you just sent our livelihood down into the water. We need, now that's very rare that Jesus would, would destroy somebody's possessions like that. But you need to realize that those were Jews violating Jewish uh, scripture by raising hogs and eating them. And so because of that, Jesus destroyed somebody's possession. And when, when they did, they, well, we want you to leave, Jesus, because uh, you're touching our money. Same thing happened to Jesus. It's happening right here in the apostles' lives. We want you out of here. And so the Bible tells us the men of that area go to the magistrates and they complain. And they say that these men are troubling our city. Verse 20. Mm, give the Lord praise. Brought them to the magistrates. They brought Paul and Silas. They caught Paul and Silas. Wonder what happened to Timothy and Luke. Evidently, maybe Timothy and Luke acted more Greek. Paul and Silas maybe acted more Jewish or appeared more Jewish. And so they grab a hold of... She just wanted to be on the camera. That's why she did that. You know? Thank you, sister. Christina, I'll even tell them what their name is. Sister Christina. Thank you, sister. <laughs> but they didn't get uh, Timothy and they didn't get Luke. They only got Paul and they got Silas. And the Bible says they drug them before the magistrates and they said, these men are troubling our city. They're troubling. They're, they're Jews and they're troubling our city. What they're trying to do is to bring Jewish religion into our culture. And that is not acceptable by our city officials. They have not given the permission for them to bring this new message into our culture. Romans worship idols. And there was an official permission given by the government to worship a particular God. And because Paul and Silas do not have permission to bring the message of the one true God of the Bible, Jesus... 
They don't have permission to say Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what they're saying when they preach. They're saying Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. They don't have the permission of Roman government to say that the emperor is not Lord and that Jesus is the true Lord and the true king. That's what they're saying here. And so now they're saying these Jews are troubling our city and they're doing something here. They're bringing a custom. Look at it, please, would you please? I'm almost done. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hmm. Verse 21, they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. He said, these men being Jews are bringing customs that are not lawful for us to receive being Romans. There has been no official permission from the government that will allow them to preach Jesus as Lord. There's no permission for them to preach their gospel here. Uh, we got permission to worship that God and that God and that God and there are no gods but the one true God. But the spirits behind those idols, uh, they had permission to worship them. Now, watch this. These are Jews and they're trying to trouble us. You know how Jews are. This is the, the ideal. These are Jews. You know how the Jews are. They're always trying to raise trouble and cause problems in the Roman culture. That's where they're going with this. And they're bringing customs that are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrate rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. So now... The Bible says they take and they rip the clothes off of Paul and they rip the clothes off of Silas. And the Bible tells us they begin to whip them with the rod, the lictor's rods, rods, beat their back to a pulp, my friend. Listen to me, church. These Romans were not merciful. The Jews, when they whipped you, they would never go beyond 39 stripes because they wanted to make sure they didn't go beyond 40. So they always stopped at 39 to make sure they didn't hit you 41 times. So there was mercy in the Jewish culture if they whipped you with the cat of nine tails. But this Roman culture had no mercy. They would take those sticks in their hands, those rods, and they would whip you on your back until your back was nothing but a bloody pulp. And so they took Paul and they took Silas and they began to whip them all over. Watch this. All this took place over a demon being cast out. Did you hear what I said? And a woman and a girl that never even came into the gospel as far as we know. That's what brought this on. And so now they beat them unmerciful, merciful, unmerciful, one rod upon the back after another. Trained lictors, men who knew exactly how to hit you as hard as they could and where to apply the most pain. They knew what they were doing. They were professionals. And so they laid the rods upon the back of Paul and Silas. And their backs are nothing but a bloody pulp. No mercy. No trial. Didn't, didn't bring them before the government and have a proper trial. They beat them unmercifully with rods. I wonder what their response is. I wonder, oh, Silas by now. You know, maybe Silas. Oh, Paul, I didn't know this was going to happen. I, th I think I'm kind of, I'm ready to go back to Jerusalem. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. It was bad. But you see, what you need to understand today is that our culture and what they were doing is different. The way we look at things. Because when you suffer for Jesus Christ, you're praying, God, get me out of this. Help me, please. I'm tired of suffering. When they suffered, they expected it. 
They expected it when they preached the gospel. They expected to suffer. They expected to be beaten. Paul said he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He didn't say he was a prisoner of Rome. He didn't say he was a prisoner, prisoner to the emperor. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He said, God is in control of everything that's happening in my life. Even the beating with the rods, God was under control. I didn't say he was condoning it. I said he was still in control. Do you realize that the Apostle Paul and Silas did not have to take that beating? They didn't have to take that beating. All they had to do, friend, is, is lift their hand and say, don't do it. We're Roman citizens. They did not have to take that whipping that day. But they did it anyway because they knew it was God's will. You and I, we were trying to get out of the suffering. I'm a this, I'm a that. I, I don't deserve this. They took a beating that they did not have to take that day. All they had to say was, I'm a Roman citizen. It was against the law for a Roman citizen to be beaten with rods. So the Bible says, beaten with rods. Verse 23, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the inner prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. So now not only are they beaten, but now they're cast into the prison. They're cast into the inner dungeon. And in that dungeon, most of the time, they would take you and throw you into that dungeon, close the door, give you a little bit of food, a little bit of water, and let you rot in there. And a lot of times, the person that was in there before you was still in there dead when you went in there. They took Paul and Silas. They threw a little salt on their backs to to maybe help them just a little bit. That's what they would do in that culture through some salt. You know the pain. Soon that salt hit their back. The pain. Those open wounds. They took them, put them in the inner dungeon, put them in stocks. Hands straight forward, legs straight forward, or maybe chained to a stick. I don't know exactly, but it was a very cramping situation. Cramping. It would cramp you up. It would cause great pain. So they're whipped in their back, salt in their back. They're bleeding. They're in stocks and bonds. Normally when you have a man in that condition, you have him cussing, cursing, blaspheming, screaming, angry, in pain. But all of a sudden, these two men at midnight in that condition begin to sing praises to God. You know the story. They begin to sing praises. You know why they sang praises, church? They didn't sing praises to get delivered from prison. They didn't sing praises so the doors would open up. They didn't sing praises so they would be free. They didn't sing praises for that. They sang praises because they knew God was in control of all of it. Give the Lord praise in the house. You know how it is, church, and I'm almost done. And our coach said, just praise the Lord today and you'll get delivered. That might happen. But praise the Lord and you'll get your healing. Praise the Lord and you won't suffer anymore. That's the mindset, isn't it? You don't praise Him for that. You praise Him because you know that whatever situation you're in, that He is the Lord and that He is in control. 
And if I've been beaten, it's because the sovereignty of God allowed me to be beaten. The sovereignty of God said, yes, let them be beat. The sovereignty of God said, put them in prison. The sovereignty of God said, put them in stock. And they knew that God was in control. So they sang in very difficult situations, not to get out of the problem, but because they knew God was in control of the problem the whole time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't think that they had in their mind that they were fixing to escape that day. I don't think it even crossed their mind. I ask you a question today. How many of you are beat to a pulp today in your back? When you came in here for Jesus Christ this morning, and you're so beat that you're like a bloody pulp in your back, and somebody threw a little salt in you, in your wounds to maybe prolong your life and uh, put you in stocks and and uh, oh yeah it's so bad it's so horrible how many of you today came that way nobody but we can let some little insignificant problem in our lives become our god some little problem maybe even a big problem that's our god so that now because we've got this in our lives we don't sing because we feel like God failed us. But I'm telling you, the reason why they sang is because they knew God had not failed them. They knew that God was in control and they were glad to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. How about you? When you came into the church, I can't worship because I don't feel good. I can't worship because uh, this is... I, it's just not going my way, Pastor. So I don't know if I'm going to live for God anymore, Pastor. It's not going the way I thought it would, Pastor. So I'm just going to throw in the towel. It's just not going the way I want it to go, Pastor. So I'm just going to come and sit in church and I'm not going to move with God and I'm not going to worship God. Let me tell you something. It's not always going to go your way, honey child. Let me tell you, honey child, it's not always going to go your way. When you really serve Jesus Christ the way you're supposed to, I'll tell you what to expect. Expect suffering. Expect it. Expect it. Expect it not to go always the way you want it to go. And get up and stop sucking your thumb. And stop stop drinking from your milk bottle. Grow up and say, Jesus is in control of my life. Even His permissive will is worthy of being praised. And so they started singing praises. This was unheard of. The people in the prison, what are they doing over there? We've never heard anybody sing praise or sing like they are. We've never heard anybody rejoicing as Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice, I say unto thee. Rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice always. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Rejoice, I say. Rejoice always. He's telling you no matter what situation you're in today, rejoice in the Lord because He is in control. And if you can't rejoice in America where you have freedom to worship, where, come on somebody, where it's legal for you to serve Jesus Christ, where you can preach and it's legal, nobody dragging you out, nobody whipping you, and you can't worship Jesus Christ, you ought to be shot with a, a ton of hot cracklings. 
You ought to be shot. I ought to be shot right between the eyes. They can't worship God. And we got the freedom we got. Nobody, nobody beating down our doors, whipping us, beating us, and throwing us in jail for nobody persecuting us like that. And we can oh, I just had a bad day. Wake up. Get over it. Worship the name of Jesus. Praise him. Hallelujah. I guarantee you, no matter what the situation, circumstances, and all things rejoice, if you will do that, you won't backslide. Because you'll get the, pers- you'll get the perspective that God is in the control of my life. He is the Lord of my life. And if this has been, a, if this has been allowed to come in my life, I'm still going to praise Him. And I'm not going to praise Him to get me out of it. I'm going to praise Him because I know He is sovereign. And I know He is the Lord. And I know He's in the King. So that's why I praise Him. I worship Him because of who He is. I praise Him for what He's done. And they started worshiping Him for who He is. The Sovereign Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Do you really believe that Jesus is the Lord? Do you really believe that Jesus is God? Do you really believe that He's in charge? If you do, send up a praise. Because He's worthy. He's worthy. It's not that you feel like it or you don't feel like it. You think they felt like it with their backs beaten to a pulp and they're bleeding, got salt in their wombs and they're inside. You think they felt like singing? They didn't feel like singing. You worship Him because of who He is. And because you know He's in control. Not for Him to come in and get you out of the mess you're in. He can do that. If he chooses to, can he? You've seen him do. I don't want to lose the praise. I don't want to lose the, lose the worship. He's worthy. And so they kept, kept preaching. I looked at my clock. Isn't that a sign? That's American. When I go to Taiwan, we have six hour services. I looked at the clock because I'm an American. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not even beating my back. I'm just worried about... I'm not, I can preach all afternoon. You know I can. But I'm worried about you getting tired on those nice, comfortable pews. Maybe we ought to bring you some popcorn and, you know, I don't know. Anyway, give you a Coke. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm, just, I'm not trying to get on to you. I'm just telling you. We are fickle like the Galatians. We are, man, we are. We're up one down, down the next. Come on. He doesn't get up and down the next. He's the same God today that He was yesterday. They never heard anybody in jail like this in that, in that area. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed, sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Look at that. The prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's hands, bands were, were loosed. They weren't looking for it. They weren't even praying for it. This was God's answer to their praise. This was God's sovereign answer to their prayer and their worship. They weren't asking for it. This is, oh, they're praising me right now. Send an earthquake. God sent the earthquake and shook that prison. You catch that? I don't think anything else was shaken in that area except the prison. The prison was the only thing shaking. And I know it's supernatural because an earthquake can't break the chains off your hands. So God sent the earthquake and God broke the chains off of the prisoner's hands. 
That was a supernatural intervention from God Almighty. He's the one that shook that. God will do it for you. Sometimes you get in these situations like that, just start worshiping and praising. But don't praise Him. Don't worship Him because you're trying to get out of something. Just praise Him because He's God and He's worthy. And if He, if He shakes your prison, and if He calls the chains to fall off of you, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank God you got a miracle. Amen. Amen. The jailer, of course, thinks that everybody's run for their lives. The jailer thinks that they've all escaped. And because of the law of that culture, if you are a guard and you lose your prisoners, you have to replace them with your life. If they escape, you die. And he knew it. He knew it. And so he's about to fall on his own sword and kill himself because suicide is better than public execution. And the Apostle Paul screams out from that inner dudgeon. He says, do thyself no harm. We're all here. They didn't do that to get out. They didn't do that to get out. They're standing right there. The doors are wide open. The chains are falling off. They could have run if they wanted to. They stand in the jail. And the very man that was the one that beat Paul, who was the jailer, because the jailer was the one that beat him. The very jailer fixed to kill himself out of love, Paul says, do thyself no harm. If it were you or me, we'd probably say, go ahead and do it. Kill yourself. Look what you did to my back. Kill yourself. I don't care. Go ahead. You want to be a, yeah, judgment of God on you. Kill yourself. But the love of God stepped in through the apostle Paul and said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. None of us have run away. What must I do to be saved? He springs in. Brother Dice put it this way, my mentor. He said, this is the first rock and roll service. God rocked the jail. The jailer rolled in and he got saved. He rolled in there before Paul and Silas there. What must I do to be saved? I don't think he totally understood what he was asking, but he was on the edge of eternity because he's fixing to kill himself. He was looking over the edge of eternity into a devil's hell. That was where he was fixing to go. And he knew he was lost. And he knew that he knew he needed to be saved. And I think he'd probably think that he was fixing to be put to death by the hands of his officials. Whatever in his mind he, he understood about salvation. Maybe he heard that young maiden cry out, These are the men, these are the servants of the Most High God, and show us the way of salvation. Maybe he heard her say that. Or maybe he heard, and I believe he did. He heard Paul and Silas singing about Jesus Christ the Savior. Maybe, they, maybe he heard them sing about salvation. And he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou in thy household shalt be saved. Wow. Give the Lord praise. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Verse 30 brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house. Did you catch that? But that's not all that Paul told him that day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then the Scripture says, 
They leave the prison house. They go to the jailer's home and they sit down. The Apostle Paul shares the gospel with him, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He shares with that jailer. I don't even think the jailer knew who Jesus was. I don't think he even understood that there was a man by the name of Jesus that died for the sins of the world. This man doesn't know who Jesus is. He doesn't know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He doesn't know that this man died for him. The Apostle Paul has to sit down with him and show him how to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. He don't even know who He is. So he sits down with him in the house and shows him who Jesus is and shows him uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for his sins, how that Jesus died that he could be saved and how that he could be saved. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says here they arose at midnight and they were, and he was baptized. Which means the apostle Paul told him he needed to be baptized in Jesus' name. Did you catch that? See, a lot of people lie on that passage. There's a lot of preachers that lie on that passage. They will tell you just come and accept Jesus as your personal Savior and you're in the kingdom. They will tell you all you got to do in order to go to heaven is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says they took Him and they, they taught Him the Word of God. And what did they preach to Him? The same message they preached in Acts 2 to the Jews. And the same message they preached to the Samaritans in Acts 8. The same message they preached to the Gentiles in Acts 10. Repent and be baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sin and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't change the message. And once they got through preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this passage shows you that water baptism is essential for your salvation. Because the Bible says at midnight... After singing the praises of God and after midnight, sharing the Word of God with this man and his family, the Scripture says this, They spake unto him the Word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straight way. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Paul preached to him the same message they preached all the way through the book of Acts. Preached to him baptism and the necessity of baptism. How do I know he was baptized in Jesus' name? How do I know he got the Holy Ghost? Speaking with other tongues. Because it's an established word. Second Corinthians 13 verse 1. Every word is established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. We already know how the Jews were saved, the Samaritans were saved, and the Gentiles were saved, Acts 2, 8 and 10. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. It's already an established doctrine. So they don't have to repeat what happened there. All the details. We know what happened because it's already an established word. This man is baptized. If it wasn't essential, you got men who have beaten bloody to a pulp who are cramped up, who've experienced the emotion of an earthquake and the coming in of this jailer and say, we can't go to bed tonight. 
until we baptize you. We cannot. You must be immersed tonight. If it wasn't essential to salvation, they said, well, we'll just wait a month or two, a year or two. A week or two. No. I can't go to sleep until I baptize you in Jesus' name. So it's not just that He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that puts you in the kingdom. They shared the Word of God with Him. And they showed Him baptism. And I know He got the Holy Ghost. There was rejoicing in the house that night and celebration. Say praise God. Oh, isn't that an awesome message? Give the Lord praise in the house. The Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Bible says there's one Spirit. And the Lord is that Spirit. When you get the Holy Ghost, you don't get the third person. You get the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Ghost, the one Spirit of the Bible. There's only one God. His name is Jesus. When we baptize you, we don't baptize you in the titles Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of all your sins. And when you come out of that water, or even before that water, you get the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Holy Ghost. It's the same Spirit. Spirit of God. Same message, one faith. Ephesians 4. It's established doctrine. So He doesn't have to tell you that He spoke in tongues. You know He did. Because everybody else did. In fact, when they were water baptized in Jesus' name in the 8th chapter of Acts, and they didn't get the Holy Ghost, they sent for the apostles in Jerusalem because they said something's not right here. Because without exception, everybody in that New Testament church that was a, was a Christian was baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, filled with the Holy Ghost, and spoke with tongues. Did you catch that? Say praise the Lord. So this guy didn't have to. We don't have to have it written down that he spoke in tongues. And we don't even have to have it written down how he was baptized because it's already established doctrine. And if you won't believe it after three times it's been preached to you, you won't believe it if I preach it five times or if they repeat it five times or six times or even ten times. If three times is not enough, four times is not going to be enough. Five times is not going to be enough. Are you getting what I'm telling you right now? It's already established doctrine. We know how they came in the kingdom. We know how they got saved. So don't lie on this passage and tell anybody. You are not authorized to tell anybody they're saved by just believing in Jesus. Say praise the Lord. God is good. I'm not going to judge you. Thank God for the word that you have and thank God for the experience you're walking in. But you need that in your life. Say amen. Well, show me again. I've already showed you three times. Show me again. I don't have to. We know how, we know what happened. Say amen. Give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Now, after all of this, the earthquake and everything, now we got the officials come and say, we thought about this. And we didn't do this right. We didn't handle this right. I, I, I promise you I'm almost done. I don't know I'm, am I boring yet? <laughs> We didn't do this right. We didn't treat those fellows right by beating them, throwing them in prison like that. You two magistrates, you two guys over there, I think they were the magistrates, the title of their office, whoever it was. Anyway, they were the lictors. Go and get those men and get them out of jail and tell them to leave. 
Tell him to leave. Hmm. Okay, what's Paul going to respond? How's he going to respond? Okay, the magistrate sent the surgeons saying, let those men go, verse 35. The surgeons were the lictors, the ones that beat them. The keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. You know what Paul says? Not so quickly. <laughs> Not so quickly. And, and it wasn't because he was vindictive. It wasn't because he held a grudge. He knew God was in control of everything. He took the beating when he didn't have to. Not so quickly. You tell them to come themselves. You know why? Because the Apostle Paul is wanting to show them that it's not just a Jewish thing. That he as a Roman citizen is spreading this gospel through the whole world. It's not just a Jewish doctrine or a Jewish sect. I'm a Roman citizen preaching this. Give Him praise. He took that beating knowing He could have been exempt from it as a Roman citizen. You tell those guys come down here. We're going to have a little talk. And so Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly uncondemned. They didn't even give us a trial. And we're Romans. Silas was a Roman citizen as well. When he said that, fear filled their hearts. Because anytime a Roman takes a Roman citizen and beats them, they are liable to the death penalty. You don't beat a Roman citizen. You don't do that. Because that brings the death penalty on your life. It scared them to death when Paul said that. You have beaten us uncondemned. Romans. Roman citizens. I tell you, he took it and he didn't have to. He could have said that before when they started beating me. I'm a Roman citizen. Let us stop immediately. Why did he take that beating? He took that beating for the church's sake. For the church's sake. And to show that Roman government that it was a Roman citizen that was spreading this message not Jewish. So that when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, or Paul and Silas and Timothy leave, Luke will stay there. When Paul and Timothy and Silas leave Philippi, those governing officials will give permission to that church to preach that message. They will leave those people alone. They will take care of those people and do them no harm because... Paul took that beating. Paul took that beating for the sake of that little church. Can you imagine if a little beating, I say a little, a beating would have caused those men to leave and flee? What condition the church of Philippi would have been left in? That means those officials could go to those people at any time and say, you're just a Jewish sect and beat them just like they did Paul and Silas. Expecting them to flee as well. Paul said, no, I'm a Roman citizen. I'm preaching this gospel as a Roman citizen to Gentiles. And you beat me. You're worthy of death. And so God knew what He was doing. God was in control. And, and Paul so trusted God with all these details, he was willing to take the beating for the sake of that church. That's amazing to me. Isn't God good?
when Paul and Silas and Timothy leave, Luke stays behind and he no doubt becomes the pastor of that little church, one of the greatest little churches that Paul ever founded. And later on, Paul will come back by on his way to Rome and he'll pick up Luke again, take Luke back up with him from Philippi. But for the meantime, Luke will stay. In closing, the Bible said in 38, verse 38, and the surgeons told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And when they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Now that little church is safe. That little church is secure. These Roman officials are going to give them the permission to preach the message that Paul and them was preaching. You see, here's the point. If Paul and Silas get permission to do what they did, that means so does everybody else. And the gospel can be, continue to be spread throughout Europe. That's the sovereignty of God. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we love you today. We give you glory and honor and praise.